thanks for being here. Band, great job. As you're having a seat, if you will, grab your Bibles if you've got them. And we're going to be in Mark's gospel this morning, uh, the gospel of Mark. If you don't have it, uh, we'll have some verses. We'll be a couple of different places, but we'll be, uh, the verses will be on the screen uh, behind us. This morning, as we start the new year, as like I said, as we look forward, as we begin to pray and plan and anticipate what the Lord has uh, before us and in front of us this year, I want to ask ourselves this question. In light of the fact that Christmas has come, in light of the fact of the season we've just celebrated, that God has sent to us a Savior, Christ our Lord has been born. Sorry, my beard is causing this trouble. No shave November is over, right? i got to trim it back. Here we go. In light of the fact that he's come, what, what is he asking of us? What is God asking of you and I today? What, is, what, what does that mean? What, in other words, what is the expected norm for those of us who believe in the gospel and who claim to follow Christ with our lives? What does that look like? What does that mean for us this year? How can we even begin to think about that? What is the call that Christ has placed on us as believers? Listen to this verse. Uh, it'll be on the screen. John 17.3 says this. Now this is eternal life, that you would know God and Jesus Christ, the one he has sent. That sums it up really, really easily. We could just close our Bibles and be done, right? And many of you are like, well, please do that. But we will go on. Again, think about this in the new year. This is eternal life, that you would know God. And how do you do that? And Jesus Christ, the one he has sent. He is how we get to know God. And so if I want to be someone with walks with God, if I want to be someone that walks with the Lord Jesus, not just someone who's moral, not just a nice person, not just someone that gets along with other people, if I want to be someone who walks with God and knows Jesus Christ, our call is to know him. Our call is to follow him. Our call is like the disciples, to go where Jesus has gone, to do the things the Savior does. Our call is not just to know things about him. Our call is not to just attend services. Our call is not to just uh, go through the motions. Our call is that we would know God and Jesus Christ, the one he has sent, that we'd go where he goes, we'd walk where he walks. We would do the things the Savior does. And so as we're thinking about this new year, I want us, we live in uh, kind of the suburban, maybe Bible Belt culture, right? But if, we're, if we are not careful, we can easily slip into just religious gymnastics. And we go through the motions, and we do the things we're supposed to do, and we say the things we're supposed to say, but Jesus is not actively with us in changing our hearts and our minds. We, as a church and as a people this year, want to press into where he is and what he's doing and follow him close, closely. And we've got a lot of distractions to contend with. Uh, I was thinking about this. From the months of November through March, it seems like, are just filled with parties, they're filled with events, they're filled with stuff, they're filled with hype, they're filled with marketing blitzes, they're filled with, you guys, are, I, I don't know about you, but I can't even like read emails anymore because 
this time of year, I've realized how many things I've been signed up for throughout the year because everyone sends like 100 emails a day wanting you to buy something or know something or tune into something or click on something. It's just you're, you have to go through that unroll me thing to even get your normal email back. It's just this crazy hyped up season. In November, we've got Thanksgiving. We all eat turkey because that honors the pilgrims, right? In December, we've got... Uh, in our church, we've got Eve Eve you ramp up for, then you've got Christmas Eve, and then you've got Christmas Day, and then um, a couple days after that, you've got New Year's, you've got the ball dropping, and, and it's crazy because New Year's Eve is like a party, and also New Year's Day is also a party, so there's expectations and places to be and traditions that you're supposed to do for all of these things at Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, you got to eat this, and New Year's Day, you got to eat black-eyed peas for some reason, even though they're terrible. It's like you got to do all these certain things, and you've got to have all these people with you, and you've got to buy all the latest gadgets, and you've got all the marketers realizing that it's Black Friday, that it's Cyber Monday, that it's Christmas sale, that it's New Year's. Now, Christmas is over, now it's New Year's sale, they're going to sell you the workout stuff. It's just constant. A few days after that, a few weeks after that, you got the college football national championship, whenever that is. Forgive me, I'm not a sports nut. A few weeks after that, you've got the Super Bowl, and there's just a whole thing with that. A few weeks after that, you got Valentine's Day, and a few weeks after that, you got the Final Four. Whew! It's busy. It's parties, it's stuff, it's marketing, it's all these things you're supposed to do, all these things you're supposed to eat, all these things, all this hype. All this hype. And all of these things, as we walk through them, they are buying for our time and our affection, and uh, whether it be on the radio, whether it be on the internet, whether it be through TV, whether it be on billboards, now they're coming through through your cell phones, it's coming in on email, we are inundated with it all. It's just over and over and over again. It's the next best thing, it's the thing that you need, it's for this next party, for this next season. And we, church, I make that point because we get used to introductions like that. We get used to seasons like that. We get used to being introduced to people and things and uh, the next whatever it is like that through hype, through hearing about it, through the fireworks in the sky, through the billboards, through all these things uh, that we now are so used to, we get very used to introductions that way. But when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the Bible, Jesus introduces his kingdom in a radically different way. He doesn't come with hype and fireworks, although uh, the angels announcing that he's coming was miraculous and spectacular, but it was announced to just a couple of guys out in a field and no one else knew where to find him. Um, he doesn't come with a hype. He doesn't come to bring a party. In fact, he was born in what we would know and what we would call a garage. Uh, we don't really know much about his life for the first 30 years outside of a couple of verses in the Bible. He, he lives his life in almost obscurity. Um, and then when he begins his ministry, as you read the Gospels, uh, he, he begins healing people. He starts doing these miraculous things. And then as he sends people on their way after these miraculous things happen, he says, oh, by the way, don't tell anyone about this. You're like, what? Why, do, why does he operate this way? Why doesn't he operate like how we would operate? 
If the Savior's coming, let's throw a party. Let's tell the whole world. Let's fill the streets of New York and watch the ball drop. And then Jesus is coming and just get millions and millions of people on the marketing list and tell the whole world about what's happening. Why, does, why do we know very little about his his life for the first 30 years? Why, when he comes on the scene, does he heal people and send them away and say, don't tell anyone what I've just done? Why does he do this? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he bring a party? Why doesn't he bring the hype with him? I believe that Jesus does it this way. Jesus does it in such a different way. The kingdom of God is so different than what we are prone to think and believe is right in the right way of doing it because Jesus is interested, church, in drawing to himself those that are fully committed to the cause and purpose of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Jesus does it this way, not with the hype and the party because I don't know if you're anything like me, uh, we get really excited about the next thing. Um, in fact, Apple built their brand for many years on this by just trickling out information about the next new thing. I think we've all tired of it somehow. But there used to be lines out the door to wait for the next device that would come out. And we'd get it, and we would just, the very day we would get it, there would be blog posts or rumors about what the next one was going to be like. That's just how we're wired. We just want the next thing. Jesus isn't interested in drawing people to himself in that way. He's interested in drawing to himself those that are fully committed to his cause and his purposes, the kingdom of God. He's not interested in drawing people to hype because what happens, as we know, is when we get drawn to the hype of things and we chase it and we get it, we realize that it just doesn't really satisfy at the end of the day. We'll look for something else 10 minutes later. We'll look for something else a day later. We'll look for something else two months later. Or we'll forget entirely about that thing we were chasing because it just doesn't matter. Jesus isn't interested in drawing to himself um, the hype. He wants to draw us into those who are fully committed to his cause, the gospel cause. And so this morning we're going to be Mark chapter 1. <coughs> Mark, if you're reading the gospels, is a very fast-paced gospel. He gets to the point quickly. Mark writes with this urgency in the gospel. He uses the word, this word all the time, immediately. Immediately Jesus did this. And then the next sentence, immediately Jesus did that. And so it, there's a sense of urgency in which the book is written. And so we're going to read uh, Mark chapter 1, the verses 14 and 15. In these, church... Are the first is the first announcement of the ministry of Jesus. This is how he announces his ministry. This is how he announces what he's come to do. And he says this. The verses are up there. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this is, how, this is his announcement. Quotes, this is Jesus proclamation, declaration of what's happening. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so this scripture, what we're going to see today in this new year is what is the true gospel and how do we live in it? And what is the call of Christ on those who believe? Now today, I don't know if you guys sense this in our culture, it seems that everyone kind of wants this... Um, Everyone wants a connection spiritually on some level. And, and many times it's with Jesus. And so we like to have Jesus 
uh, in, our, in our own little sort of pack, prepackaged way that we can access him when we need him. Everyone wants this Jesus to kind of fit into their lives as they see their lives uh, going best. We want, we want Jesus to sort of meet our needs. We want Jesus to fit into our little sphere of where we'd like to place him and where we need help from him. However, church, as we just read in Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God and what it means for us, a Jesus that simply just fits into our own projection, that fits our own ideas, that meets our own individual needs, that Jesus, church, will never transform you. A Jesus of your own making that you just access when you want and doesn't really have full reign in your heart and in your mind through all that he said will never challenge you. He'll never press into the deep, hard places that we are engrossed in sin and we're engrossed in rebellion. He'll never be able to reach those places. And he'll never change you ultimately. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us, we just, we like to get a Jesus that is just accessible where I want him and then I can put him away when I don't want him around. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The first words spoken by Jesus recorded here in Mark are this, the kingdom of God is at hand. It means the kingdom of God is is near, it's, it's right here, it's, it's right there. Therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus doesn't call us to a cultural icon. He doesn't call us to uh, religion. He calls us for his purposes, for his mission. This, in fact, this idea of Jesus calling us to something, Jesus calling the disciples as, we, as you go on in the Gospels, was very unique in Jewish tradition, in fact. Uh, historically, rabbis never chose their students. Historically, a rabbi, uh, a student would always choose a rabbi. He would seek out someone that he respected, someone that he liked, and he would go to that rabbi and ask if he could follow that rabbi. A rabbi would never call out for someone to come follow him. The student would seek out the master, someone he respected. Here, however, Jesus is showing us something that you cannot have a relationship with him unless he calls you. His call, the call of Jesus moves us into action. It is his call that starts it. It is the call of Christ that begins something in us. It's something outside of us, the call of Christ, the word of Christ that comes on us that then therefore changes something in us. It's not something internal in us that says, I need to go find God. It's that God, the gospel is that God came down to us and he called out to us and started a work in our hearts. The call of Jesus is a profoundly powerful thing. Profoundly powerful. It's his call that changes us. And his call is to repent or to turn from all the other things, all the other calls in our lives, all the other things that we are run to, all the other things internally that we've gone to, is to repent. That means to, to change and turn direction and to, to do what? And to believe in the gospel to believe in the gospel. So first of all, what I want to do, I want to go all the way back. I think that 
if you've grown up in church or you've been around the church or maybe you've never been to the church, uh, you, you hear the word gospel a lot. If you're around here, we say it a lot. Um, and I think, unfortunately, because it's just said so much and it's said so much within a religious context and construct that it's almost totally lost its meaning of what we think it is. So what I want to do quickly is say, what is, we'll say, a gospel? Because gospel wasn't a religious word. When Jesus said it, it didn't have these overarching religious connotations. So what is a gospel? When Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, believe in the gospel, what, what does that mean? What, what, what's happening here when the word gospel is said? We're like, well, it just means gospel. It's kind of a church word. We just say it a lot. It's God, believe the gospel, the good news of the gospel. It's what, what is actually happening here? So this word, like I said, it, it's almost lost its meaning. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a far-reaching religious word at the time. It simply means this. The word gospel means news that brings about great joy. We may know that from the angel, right, at Christmas. News that brings about great joy. It wasn't necessarily religious, but it was history-making news. It was a gospel was life-shaping news. It was life-altering news. It was something that happened in history that profoundly affected its listeners and changed their lives forever because of the news that was shared. And it produced in them exceeding, abounding joy when they heard it. We have, around the same time that the Gospel of Mark was written, things that read like this in ancient Roman texts. It would say things like this. In the beginning of the Gospel of Caesar Augustus, and it would begin to tell of the story and the birth and the coronation of Caesar. So a Gospel could be great news of this great event in history that happened that would have profound impacts on those that would hear it. It was also very commonly used as an announcement of a victory in war. The gospel, the good news that our king had won the battle. The, the war was won. The battle was won. In fact, in ancient times, they would have what would, what would be called heralds, and they would be... Uh, they would be in the army, and they would travel with the army, and when the king won and, and conquered the other invading nation, or whatever, it, whatever happened, the herald would go back to their hometown, go back to the place where they would march back to, and would declare the good news of the gospel that the king had won. We won the battle. And what that would mean for its listeners wasn't just, oh, cool, great, we won the battle. It meant something profound for them. It meant that means I get to live. That means that the invading army isn't marching down here to enslave us and attack us and perhaps kill us. The good news of the gospel, the herald would march back declaring the good news of the gospel and the people would cheer at the announcement of the good news of the victory of war. It meant that they would live. It meant that their children would live, that their king would reign supreme. Still, a gospel is something that happened in history that changes your status and my status forever. That's why the gospel of Jesus is so unique. 
Because the essence of all other religions is advice. It's advice. It's do this, don't do this, and you'll achieve and climb your way up to or earn your way to God. Um, Christianity is a gospel. That's why it's such good, joyful news. It's what's already been done. It's news of a great event that has happened in history, namely God intervening in humanity, God putting on flesh, and it produces great joy in us because it has profound implications for us. That's why it's joyful news. There's no rules you've got to keep. There's no certain things you must attain to to be saved. It is a gospel of grace. It's happened. It's news of great joy. Now, oftentimes, New Year's lends itself to thinking about all the resolutions. So we, we kind of have this rhythm, right? We, we want to do better. We want to lose more weight. We want to get stronger. We want to spend less. We want to spend more time with family. And there's just, we have all these things we want to do, and we want to do better, and we want to, to, to get better at, right? It's just a natural time of year that we begin thinking that way. But church, remember this this year. That the gospel of Jesus is not a resolution. It is a declaration of what's already been done. The gospel of Jesus is not a resolution that we can attain to. The gospel of Jesus is the joyful good news of what God has already done and declared in history for us. And so, church, let me ask you this question. When you hear the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that God intervened and came, that Jesus lived the life that we could never live, died the death that we should have died, that we might have life everlasting with the God in heaven that created all of the cosmos. When you hear that, do you feel like the ones that heard the heralds declaring the victory of the battle? Do you feel like your burdens are lifted? Your fears have subsided and this overwhelming joy comes over you because of what has been accomplished for you by Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. It means that our king rules and reigns supreme forever. Or on the flip side, when you hear the gospel, uh, do you hear how you are to live your life uh, and hear things that may inspire you for a short time, but ultimately as you begin to live them out, when you fall and fail sometimes, does it just burden you and begin to crush you and begin to weigh on you? When you hear the gospel, do you just feel a burden of crushing defeat, of all this stuff that you should have done that you just didn't do last year that you're going to try a lot harder to do this year? I'll do better. I'll work harder. I'll go to more stuff. I'll pray more. I'll figure this out. I'll read my Bible more. Church, that's the gospel of, of the Bible. The good news of the gospel that is presented to us here in the scriptures is not a heavy burden. It is life-giving. It's joyful. It's the good news for a reason. It's not good advice that you follow and when you fail, you mess up and you're gonna get kicked when you're down. It's the good news of even when you fail, uh, the goodness of Jesus can lift you up. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has uh, victory for you in all the places we failed. And when you go to him, he gives life everlasting, even in the face of our great failure. That's why it's good news. Matthew 11.30 says, my yoke is easy, Jesus says. My burden is light. The gospel is that God accepts you on the basis of Christ, not on our own work. Not on what you've performed in the past, but what he has done for you in history. That's, that's the essence of the gospel. So another aspect of this good news is that Jesus is announcing to us that the kingdom of God is at hand. So God is establishing a kingdom, and it's beginning with the arrival of this man, Jesus. And so there's a king, Jesus, King Jesus, and he's establishing his kingdom. And so we see this king, what he begins to do, he begins to gather around himself a people, a new people, right? So the king has come, and he begins to gather around himself his people, and so the second thing we're going to look at today is what does this king want from his people? What is the mandate of the king? So we're going to go back to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read in verse 16. We're going to read verse 16 and 18. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus calls the lower echelon of society. He doesn't call the people that we would think, that probably we would choose. Jesus essentially chooses here the modern day high school dropouts. So the call of Jesus here to these people that he calls, the people that probably none of us would have chosen on our own, the lower echelon, Jesus goes to these men and calls them and says, follow me, drop your nets, follow me, and they drop their nets, and he says, come with me. His call is to be with him, to be near to him. It's not a call to morality. It's not, uh, Simon, put out that cigarette. It's not, Simon, oh, I saw you mess up last week. Or, hey, I'm going to come back in two weeks, and you better get your act together because I'm going to call you again, and I know everything because I'm Jesus, and I can see it all. He doesn't do that. He knows exactly what they struggle with. He knows exactly uh, where they're prone to wander, as we sung about, and yet he calls them into it nevertheless, because it's through his power that he's going to change them, not through them picking themselves up by their bootstraps and resolving to do better. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he calls these men, these men that are of the lower echelon, and he says, be with me. He says, follow me. Eventually, he's going to send them out on mission. But initially, his call is to be near to him. The Gospel of John says it 40 times. He says, abide. Abide with me. The, the word abide literally means stay right here. So Jesus calls you. And he says, when I call you, I want you to be right here with me physically present with me. I'm walking with you. You're walking with me. I want you right here where I am. Where I walk, you walk. He says it here in Mark chapter 3. It's not going to be on the, on the screen. But he says, he appointed the 12 so they would be with him. With him. Not so that they would get their act together. So they could fix all their stuff in their lives and they could finally be worthy. He called them so that they would be with him. 
And he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He says, as you follow me, I'm going to change you into something else. As you spend time with me, I am going to make you and change you and mold you and shape you into something new. Into something new. Jesus says, as you stay right here, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you into a fisher of men. I will make you become, I will put you in the process of becoming a fisher of men. What does that mean? Well, quickly, um, the the biblical imagery of the sea, kind of as it's written uh, literally, was just a symbol, it was a symbol of chaos, it was a, the sea was a symbol of, of death and chaos and the unknown and darkness. And what Jesus is saying right here, he says, as you follow me, as you walk with me, I'm going to make you into a people that will draw others out of that, out of that chaos, out of that darkness, out of that unknown, into the kingdom of his light. And it's a process to get there. And it's a journey to get there. That's why he says, follow me. The disciples don't know where, where he's going. Uh, they don't know what their journey is going to entail. Their journey, in fact, looked nothing like they thought it was going to look like. Months later, it involved running for their lives. It involved them failing beyond compare. It even involved betrayal. And he says, this is how I'm going to make you into something new. I'm going to use the whole journey. I'm going to use all the along the ways to mold you and shape you into someone that I'm making you, into a new people, in a new kingdom. And the disciples, they had no idea how hard this call would be, but he says, follow me because I'm taking you on this journey. And here's how it works. Jesus is looking for people that will follow where he calls not just people that want to put them on the shelf and grab them when it's convenient. He's looking for people that will follow where he calls them because Jesus sets his followers on mission. When you're near him, when you walk with him, he has big plans. And he'll take you to places, he'll have you interact with people, have you do things that you never thought you would, but he's in the midst of it all because that's how Jesus did it. That's how he modeled it. Jesus, in fact, went to the most unlikely place. He went, to see, he went to what seemed like the greatest dead end imaginable. He went to the cross to bring forth life. That, doesn't, that seems crazy. Jesus went to the most unlikely dead end, but brought forth with him in doing so the kingdom of his light. And he says, follow me. Take up your cross every day. Follow me. He says things like this, and I'll give you life more than you've ever known. Life abundantly, the gospel tells us. But there will be cost involved. There will be a letting go. There will be a repentance. And the reality is, is if we're going to walk with him, there is cost. We even see it when Jesus calls the disciples. It goes on in the story. And as Jesus is calling more, they have to look at their father and they have to leave their dad behind in the boat and they just go and follow Jesus. There is a leaving that was, there was a cost involved with where he wanted to take them. There's a lot of people through the gospels. There's a lot of admirers of Jesus, but there are few who follow Many come to see the magic man heal. Many come to see the magic man pass out fishes and loaves. 
But when it comes to walking with him, there are few that did it. But those that did had their lives profoundly changed forever. And their uh, following and their being led by Jesus on his mission for their lives has profoundly changed the landscape of the world in which we live in today. And Jesus calls us to that same life. He says, follow me, and I'm going to make you into something new, a people set on my kingdom principles. Out of the darkness, into the light. So if he's going to change us, church, in reality, there's some things that we may have to let go of this year as we're looking forward. Some of them are good things, and some of them are evil things, just overtly. Some of us are some of the things that maybe Jesus wants us to let go of are, are not uh, on the surface level bad things, but maybe they're holding you back from really following where Jesus wants to take you this year. And maybe you just need to reevaluate. Man, is God asking me to really step back from this so that I can give all of me to Him here? And they could be good things. Or maybe the Lord's placing on your heart right now, what are the things I need to repent of and turn because the kingdom of God is at hand and they're just overtly, I just I need to step away from that because every time I touch it, it leads me to sin. Every time I think about it, every time I look at it, every time I touch it, it leads me into sin. Jesus wants to rearrange our priorities to his priorities. And many of us, as we're processing this, many of us as we're thinking in our own lives, we've heard the call of God, we've heard the call of Christ to come, but we desperately want to hang on to the things that hold us back from really following him. We desperately want to hold on to the things, maybe even in the darkness, because they bring us comfort, or we don't want to let let them into the light because we're afraid of what people might think of us. God's kingdom people are all about people that say, I failed profoundly, but in Jesus' perfection, he's made me new. So we don't have to fear anymore about being known in our sin. We can bring it to the light, and he can save us and heal us from it. So Jesus doesn't just want us to be admirers of him this year. He's calling us to be followers of him. That church, that we might even begin to reprioritize our schedules and our lives and the things we do and don't do for his purposes and his glory. And when that begins to happen, uh, we begin to um, walk with him in a profound way that uh, is really unlike anything that this world can ever offer us. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Jesus says this to his disciples, and this is a really amazing statement. We get this insight into this private moment with Jesus and his disciples, Luke 10, 23. And turning to his disciples, he says to them privately, he said, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things you see and did not see them. And to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Isn't that amazing? He looks at us disciples. He says, there are kings and prophets that just wished they got to live a life connected with Jesus in such a way that the Spirit of God was literally with you. They would be envious of you. They wish they could hear and see the things you get to see because of your proximity to Christ. 
He says you get a blessing beyond compare because you walk with me. You get to see and hear things that no one else will hear and see because of me. We follow Christ who has power over all things. He is the creator. Colossians says that he sustains and holds all the cosmos together in the palm of his hands. He's powerful. He's all-powerful. Yet, we have access to him. Yet, we know him. We're close to him. And Jesus says, I've got a vision for you this year. He says, I want to heal you of all the pride and self-centeredness that's ruining your life. I want to heal you of the things of the darkness that you run to as your comfort. I want to heal you of your isolation. I want to bring you into a new people of the kingdom of God that you can bring to bear the light of the good news of the gospel and joy might abound in your life because of what he's done. And the path is probably not going to look exactly like we think it's going to look like this year. It never really is. But if we follow him, he's going to turn us into something new. He's going to turn us from just admirers to followers. And that's where we experience, that's, that's where the gospel becomes good news. When we don't look at it uh, as just good advice that other people have followed a long time ago and they're reaping the benefits, but it's good news for me now and it produces abounding and abounding and abounding joy. So church, this year, would we follow him in that way? Would we hear the gospel and may it be uh, the weight just frees and lifts off of us because his burden is never heavy? that the gospel can produce joy and life in our hearts and we can let go of the things of darkness, let go of the things of the world that so easily entangle us and run with endurance the race that he set before us to be near to him, to be close to him, and to introduce others to him. That's a good life and it produces abounding joy, he says, when we get to do it. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. And we get to be part of it. Let's pray together, church. Lord, thank you for this new year. As we pray and as we plan and as we dream about what it will look like in 2019, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would press into you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be near to you. I pray that we would follow where you call us. I pray, God, that the gospel wouldn't be just good advice that we try to follow and fail at, but the gospel, when we hear it, would be liberating, freeing good news of the grace of Jesus poured out on the undeserving. Lord, that's me, undeserving. And thank you that you, for, for some reason, have called me. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for maybe someone in here that's never heard the call of Christ, or maybe they heard it for the first time this morning. May they respond by running to you, by placing their hope and trust in the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has won the victory that we could never win and conquered sin and death on our behalf, and that by trusting in you, placing our hope in you, that we experience even now life to the full and life everlasting one day with you. Lord, may the good news of the gospel be our fuel in 2019. 
May we not graduate past it, but may we remember it every day that you've called us into something wonderful. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and continue to worship in church.